let me ask you a question. Uh, if God were to tell us his favorite work, what would it be? Creation. Okay, he likes creation. What? Yes? Redeeming. That's good. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Any other suggestions? What he likes to do? Uh, I mean, you could say bring glory to his name, but that's kind of a generic thing. Um, what, uh, what else might we have? Well, we might have saving the lost. That would be, I guess, under redeeming. Uh, we might say, well, showing his love. Yeah, that would be true. But I'm going to claim today that what God loves to do more than anything is undoing all the evil that Satan has done by his love. I'd say that's what he likes to do. And I would like to say that, that furthermore, building on that, what he likes to do is to turn the worst brokenness into the highest value. To turn the people who are most broken into the highest value. The most, to, to the most hopeless defeat into the greatest victory. <clears throat> and we need to understand this if we are going to be working with God. If you and I are going to be part of God's kingdom work, we need to do this. Um, what examples can you think of in the Bible of God turning brokenness into glory for his kingdom? The cross is one, yes, uh, that's, of course, that's probably the preeminent one. Where, where has he turned broken people into pillars of his gospel? Any examples? Hmm? Paul, yeah, Paul is a great example, and we could actually go for quite a few. But we're going to look at Mark 5, which is the demon-possessed man. And uh, I'm going to... Um, we're going to go through this passage and look at this uh, story in the Gospel of Mark. We could read it in Matthew and Luke as well. We're going to read the Mark version. So they came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, this is really interesting because this is a Gentile region. You'll see that because there are pigs featured later. So Jesus is actually going into this region to, to bring the Gospel. So that's interesting to start with. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For his hands and feet had often been bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces, no one was strong enough to subdue him. So this would be demonic power giving him supernatural strength. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and he cried out with a loud voice, Leave me alone! Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now I'm just going to make a note at this point. 
there are ideas about about casting out demons that involve finding the demon's name and like and using addressing the demon by name. There's only once in the whole Bible that anyone asks the demon's name. This is the case, and Jesus never addresses him by that name to cast him out. In fact, when you actually look at the text, he's not asking the demon's name. Jesus says to the man, "What is your name?" Uh, to the man, and it turns out. The 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 the, uh, the answer comes from the demon. Um, do you know what legion means? Legion simply means a thousand, and it was approximately a thousand soldiers in a Roman legion. He's saying there were a thousand demons. Um, but what does Jesus actually say to cast the demon out? What he actually says is, "Come out of that man, you unclean spirit." That's all he actually says. And I'm not, this isn't a sermon on casting out demons, but I want to say is that all you need to say is go in Jesus' name. That's all you need to say because we are seated, if we're Christians, in heavenly places with Jesus and we have, we have his authority. And what demons get into is screaming matches with people and all of this stuff, and that's not needed at all. All that's needed is, I have the authority. I'm with Jesus. Go. And that's all Jesus actually says. And the rest of it is pleading where they go. Anyway, let's get on with the story then. My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged Jesus repeatedly not to send them out of the region. There on the hillside, a great herd of pigs was feeding, and the demonic spirits begged him, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs, Then the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake, and about 2,000 were drowned in the lake. Now the herdsmen ran off and spread the news in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the one who had the legion, and they were afraid." Those who'd seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man reported it, and they also told about the pigs, and they begged Jesus to leave their region. They cared more about the pigs than about the man. As he was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged if he could go with him. But Jesus did not permit him to do so. Instead, he said, go to your home and to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you. He had mercy for you. So he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him and all remains. In other words, he said, become a preacher for the kingdom and gave him that authority to preach for him. So this is an extraordinary story that we have here, a remarkable story. And I want to ask you, Why did Jesus make a special journey right the way across? And and he went back into the boat, went back again. Why did he make that journey through the storm just to get to that that place for that man? Why did he do that? One guy? Because, well, because he cared, but because this was the kind of person that Jesus came for. And my, my thesis this morning is that God loves unlovely people. He loves unlovely people. Jesus came to show us what God was like. He came to reveal the character of God to us, and the, he's the accurate and true revelation. He's not just one bit of one facet of God's character. 
Jesus' revelation of God's heart is accurate and true, and God loves the unlovely, and this is at the center of his identity. And this is what I want us to really get. <clears throat> Do you ever think, well, how could God love me? <clears throat> well, wait a minute. If God could love that man there, <clears throat> you know, he could love anybody. And I think this is one of the most important parts of his character. So that's the first thing I want you to get. God loves unlovely people from this account. And the second thing is we know that saving someone like this reveals his power. Um, we can say, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, oh, you know, I've got a friend. They'd make such a good Christian. They're a nice person. You know, they'd, be, they'd make a great Christian. And actually, you know, that's, that's not true because Jesus has, uh, Jesus has such great power and he loves to save those who are not, who wouldn't, we would think, make great Christians. Um, He's got such great power that one man against a thousand demons, there's no contest at all. And uh, uh, the situation is just so, so uh, easy for Jesus. There's no situation so bad that Jesus cannot turn it around. And I want you to take this away this morning because I want you to be praying for things this morning that you think are so bad that Jesus can't turn them around. <clears throat> In fact, the more glory... Uh, the, the worse it is, the more glory he gets when he turns it around. Um, <clears throat> so, um, the third thing I want to say is that what God loves to do more than anything else is to undo the damage Satan has done. And there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And Satan wants to twist and destroy people and to turn them into garbage. And what he does, he takes to take somebody in God's image and turn them into trash. But Jesus likes to turn garbage into jewels. And he has a special joy in undoing human misery. Can you imagine anything more of a slap in the face to Satan than to, to, than to take uh, people like that and to turn them into pillars of the kingdom. That's what he wants to do. Now, I'm going to do something a little unusual in a sermon. I'm going to tell you some quite a couple of quite long stories, but I think these will really put some flesh on the bones of what I'm saying here because they are about this kind of thing happening today. Now, around 20 years ago, I had the opportunity, um, I'd go to a trip to England to see a ministry to heroin addicts. And this was a ministry, it's called Betel. It's still going. You can look at betel.org. They've now spread all over the world. I think they're in 21 nations now. And, uh, the, but the ministry basically is a community of Christians. And what's re remarkable about it, it's not um, together organized Christians ministering to all of these broken people. No, it's broken people who have been healed and they are now running it. So it's her former heroin addicts who are Christians who are strong in Christ running this ministry to heroin addicts. And uh, I'd like to just tell you a couple of stories from this. So these are a couple of guys I met and uh, I went to lunch with them and they told me their stories. And uh, on, I'm going to tell you about Sean on the right to start with. <clears throat> so um, Sean 
always had drugs around the house and uh, his dad would roll marijuana and when he was 11 he, he started doing marijuana with his dad together and um, one day he was around 12 and he brought home from school a big bag of ecstasy pills to sell well what would you think what would a good dad do when he saw a you know his 12 year old with his bag of ecstasy pills to sell what would you think he would say well his dad said hey I want some of the action there. I want a percentage of everything you sell. That's his dad's reaction to seeing that. So um, he, he, uh, he hated school because he was constantly being picked on, but he loved it at home because his dad was a burglar and his dad would buy these new um, uh, burglar alarms and they'd disassemble them together to figure out how they work and how they could break them. And they, he just so, had such fun doing with his stuff with his dad. And soon his dad started taking him on field trips to do burglaries. And then before long, he was doing burglaries himself. And his mum and dad were so proud of him. He's a young teenager and he's going out and he's doing his very own burglaries. Um, getting a lot of praise from his mum and dad. Well, at 14, uh, he was um, staying up till 5 a.m. using amphetamines to keep awake, and he had real problems coming down from the highs, and he would try Valium and other prescription drugs, and it kind of worked. Um, and uh, he, he, he tried crack cocaine, and that wasn't terribly good. Um, and then one of his friends at school turned up one day with some white powder. And he said, this will help you come down. And he tried it. He said, I've never had anything. This is amazing. And uh, he took it home and uh, he showed it his dad. And you can probably imagine what his dad said. Uh, his dad said, um, uh, this, uh, there's a lot of money to be made in this white powder. I want in on this. And so... Um, they started dealing in, in a heroin. Meanwhile, back in school, he was getting picked on by a big guy called Tank, or that was the nickname, and this guy was bullying him. And so he went to the woodshop and he got a mallet, and when Tank wasn't looking, he hit him on the head and split his skull. And um, he didn't get prosecuted for that, but he did notice, um, and he, he told me this, he said, you know, what, what, what I noticed was that... Um, the girls paid a lot more attention to me and the guy stopped bothering me after that. <laughs> so then a little later than that, he was um, wait, lining up for a, at a movie theater and um, some guys were picking on him. And so one of them, he went for one of them and bit his nose and just held on. And he held on and everybody was screaming and, nobody, and in the end they called the police and he still held on. And uh, they prosecuted him at that point and he did a three-month... Um, term in jail at that point and uh, so uh, he told me that um, when he came out of jail he was spending about a thousand dollars a day on drugs and uh, he was having to break safes to get that that kind of money and then he thought well you know it's easier rather than than uh, actually sneaking in at night and breaking the safes to getting the money why don't I just walk in with a sawn off shotgun and and demand the money so he started going doing this and in and out of prison uh, he was constantly getting ripped up in fights and um, the lifestyle continued um, in his adult years um, so he's just becoming an adult now and his house was uh, invaded by some people who didn't think he'd paid his um, 
paid the dues for drugs and he had a knife fight with them and ended up being unconscious and the police came and he got arrested, 13 charges of burglary and uh, he was put in a maximum security prison for seven years. It would have been shorter except for an incident in the cafeteria where one of the guys was showing him some attitude. So he got a metal tray and turned it into a weapon and um, the result was kind of a lot of blood and very messy. So he's term got extended but eventually he came out of prison um, <clears throat> and went into rehab. Um, he didn't last long in rehab because um, he just he just needed the heroin he said and uh, but it was tearing his apart, him apart and one day he was with a friend and he, the, he just he was just at his wits end and his friend said hey there's a church there and he said what do you mean there's a church? His friend said well let's go in. He said are you crazy? No, so they went into this church and the pastor started talking to him and um, the, the pastor knew about Bethel, happened to know about it and he said, I've got these friends who are running this centre for people, um, would you be willing to go there? And he said, well, how would I get there? He said, I'll buy you a train ticket. So he told me that uh, he got on the train and he said, he, sp he said, I spent the whole of the journey in the, in the train washroom shooting up heroin. Anyway, he arrived at this place and they said, you've just got to go to cold turkey, no drugs, anything. And uh, started preaching to him about Christianity and he, he just didn't believe. He hated, but he stayed there because they fed him and they were kind to him. And uh, he just couldn't sleep. And he could not sleep. And the days went by, the weeks went by. After 30 days of not sleeping, he was like, going crazy, just screaming. And one day in the middle of the night, not sleeping, he, he got up and he, he, he went downstairs. He found a Bible and he said, uh, God, if there's a God, if there's a God, I want you to just prove you exist by giving me sleep. <laughs> he woke up in the morning like that with his head in the Bible. And he thought, oh, so God did answer my prayer like instantly. And... Uh, so, um, so he started, um, he, that completely changed his attitude. He started seeking after God, was saved, became so hungry. He told me, I was just reading, reading the Bible all the time. I was so hungry for God. I would read anything. And um, he, was, uh, he was just uh, hungry for the Lord. And he just made progress. And two years later, he was in charge of a group of men. And then a couple of years later after that, he was actually running. They planted another location. He was running that location. And when I spoke to him here in this picture, he was just about to go to Mexico to start a Betel in Mexico, which is now really thriving. And he's a pillar in the kingdom from such a broken start. So I want to suggest to you that that's a kind of modern equivalent to, to this man. And we have... We may not have many men breaking chains and screaming in the, in the churchyards nowadays, but we have plenty of people like this. So I had the, the privilege of actually living in the, in the, in the, with these guys in, the, um, uh, in Betel. These are the three guys. I lived in a couple of days in the room with them, and uh, we got to know each other quite well. And what they do is they... Um, in order to, um, this is this is the uh, uh, aerial view of the place we were staying. 
they, they have church services which are open to the public. And these guys are so full of God. I've never seen people who are just so excited about what God has done for them. They are just praising God like crazy. Uh, and what they do in order to, um, to raise money to keep the whole thing is financially self-sufficient, uh, they, when they come in, they don't lie around. They put to work. They work hard. And they have a business. They basically uh, get quality furniture that's, being, that's not needed anymore. They pick it up from people's homes. And they take it. They, refi- they refurbish it, make it beautiful, and then resell it. And they make the money from that um, keeps the organization going. And here's the wood shop. I spend a couple of days working with these guys in the wood shop. And they're just, um, work, they work really, really hard. They work long hours and they work really hard to, to keep the organization going. And uh, what I found, here's one of the guys I was working with. These guys want to talk about Jesus all the time. Like, you know, you're working with them. All they want to talk about is like, this is what God has done for me. They are so excited about the ministry, about what God has done for them. And uh, here's another guy who just was full of the, the, uh, the things that God had done for him and wanted to tell me all about it. So... Um, so I'm just going to tell you briefly about the guy on the left now, which is, uh, we'll call him William. And uh, William, uh, he, in, we, when he, was, he grew up in his home, his parents kept telling him, you know, you don't belong to us. You're not one of our children. We found you, which wasn't true. He was biologically theirs. But they said, oh, we found you. They kept comparing him to his brother. He did anything to get noticed. Um, and then as he grew up, he found heroin. And heroin cost him a lot of money. So um, he needed money and he needed heroin. So he figured out, well, you know, the best thing to do is, is, is to rob drug dealers because then they get the money and the heroin at the same time. Uh, this wasn't a good idea. Uh, very rapidly, there was bloodshed and he ended up in prison. Family um, only ever once visited him in prison. When he came out of prison, he was, uh, he was back again soon, tried rehabs, nothing happened, back on the streets doing heroin. And he told me, he said, you know, at the end of it, I had no veins left where I could actually inject. I was so bad and it had wrecked my body so much that, uh, you know, I, could, I could, couldn't even walk very well. In fact, he said, I realized that I had to do something about it when I tried to, to rob this old lady. She was an old lady with a purse. And she beat me off with her purse. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said to me, I realized I had a big problem then. And I heard about, somebody told me about Betel and I, I checked in there. And um, just, it was just a total, um, a total transformation in his life. He's now in a senior position of leadership. God has taken him from being the very bottom to being a pillar in the kingdom. And one of my, the things I felt, from this visit was this God just loves this kind of thing. He loves it because this is undoing the worst damage that Satan is trying to do in our society. So the question I want to leave you with is how should we respond to this? How do we respond to this story in Mark? And when you're reading Mark, you're going to discover quite a few of this kind of these kind of themes coming out. Um, well, first of all, maybe your life is in a mess and Jesus specializes in turning lives around and replacing bad stuff with good stuff. So just come to him and ask him. Maybe you're not a, a follower of Jesus today. 
Maybe you need his power today and he loves to, to hear prayers of people who are desperate. To just come to him and ask him. He loves to hear prayers like that. Um, and we are either members of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. But Jesus will accept you into his kingdom. Uh, if Jesus is not your king, then don't waste any time. Just ask him. You've nothing to lose and everything to win. Don't be like the people at the end of the passage who wanted him to leave that region. So I'm going to put a summary together now. This is my, my last slide here. I want to, to, to give us three things. First, God loves unlovely people. We respond by having the heart of God in us. So we, the first thing we need to do to respond to this story is to have the heart of Jesus, to have the heart of God. And, and to do that, we need to be secure in his love. And so we need to know his love for us so that we can show it to others. Um, the second thing I want to leave you with is Saving someone like this reveals God's power and we believe in God's awesome power for today. And so what we need to be doing is praying for people like that. And also where God has called us into doing something to, to show love to people like that. And, um, and uh, the... Uh, Whatever God, whatever opportunity God gives us to do that. Um, the third thing is what God loves to do more than anything else. We join Him in doing this, and we trust. I, we trust His power in you, in us, to join Him in undoing all the damage that Satan has done in this world. And so, I I don't know what what your life the people that you are in contact in your life. Um, I have some people who I've been in contact in my life who, whilst not as bad as Legion, they are really struggling with all kinds of issues. And I want to tell you myself, um, reading this story and preparing this message has just given me more confidence. And it's funny, uh, as I've shared many times, God brings things up in my life as I'm preparing the sermon. Well, um, a few days ago, something came up with a person that I've been trying to help, and I just saw demonic power there. Well, I'm not saying they're demonized, but I just saw like the devil's destructive power that's in there. And I thought, and it was like really nasty. And then I thought, oh, you know what? God is giving me an opportunity to pray for them. I should see the positive of this, and I am just going to pray like nothing, like I've never done before for this person, because I want to see them not just to be freed a bit and a bit better, but I want to see them raised up in the kingdom of God as to God's glory and as God's pillars. So I want you to take on this aspect of God, to take on this character of God of loving the broken, and I want you to take on, at least in prayer, a determined, persistent uh, uh, decision to pray for particular people in your life or particular situations in your life to see God's power unleashed in this way and to see God's love spread into this world. So let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your power is not weakened today. 
Lord, you are no less powerful than you were then. And Lord, we do pray that we will see, in our, we will be witnesses to extraordinary demonstrations of your power in our lives as we speak to people around us who are broken and as we see brokenness healed in our own lives. Lord, we pray that your glory will be shown in this world today in this beautiful love. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.